Lindsay Rowland. Today, I'm excited to have Adam Dorito back and his lawyer, Herb Rubenstein, to give us an update on his case. As you know, we covered Adam's story in a two-part series earlier this year. I'm very passionate about this case and want to make sure it stays in the advocacy limelight. And we provide you with the most latest up-to-dates on lobbying and legal. Welcome, Adam and Herb. Thank you very much. Thanks for bringing us on, Lindsay. So if you could talk a little bit, who it doesn't matter who starts first, about how you guys know each other, how you connected, and what kind of your connection is with this case. Adam was a student of mine at the Graduate School of Business of the University of Colorado, and he did very well in the course. I told him about the, told the class about the kind of work I did as a lawyer, and afterwards he approached me and asked if I would consider working with him in his case. And how long ago was that? About 200 years ago. No. It was <laughs> yeah, it feels like it sometimes, right, for Adam? <laughs> it was about 2015. I'll let you start, Adam, where you want to start with the updates, but you guys have really gone through some a lot of things in the last couple of years. I know that we had Adam on the show a couple months ago, but then there has been some real updates on the case that we wanted to share with the public. So I'll let you start, either one of you, where you want to start on the latest. Sure. I mean, I'll give a quick update, but I'll let her mostly take the reins and the legalisms of it. But basically where we were at last time when we finished episode two on this series was where we were waiting on the 10th District Court of Appeals to make a decision. Now, the interesting thing about that was that there was some things, new evidence that had come up since then that we were not allowed to submit in the case since it wasn't part of the original federal lawsuit. So that had some complications. But regardless, we were waiting on a decision from, to move on from there. And previously, we had been in contact with the attorney general's office, and we were basically waiting for the next step from there. And we did hear back from them. And I'll let Herb explain what had happened from that point on, which is just a few weeks ago. Sure. In Adam's case, it is a military personnel issue. Turns out it's also a constitutional issue. But military personnel issues are handled typically through the Air Force Board for the correction of military records. Problem with that is they can take forever. Nobody forces them to make a decision. And after six months, one can say, I've exhausted my administrative remedies. I'm going to court. So Adam has two separate issues. One, right before he was going to graduate, they strongly encouraged him to take some psychological tests. He did fine on those. But a year after, and it showed in his medical records right at the time, he did fine. But then a year later, mysteriously, some new findings showed up, which were not supported by the test results. So we had to go to the Air Force Board for the Correction of Military Records to fix those. And we also had the longstanding issue of he was denied graduation and they wanted tuition. So while we were in the district court, I'm saying, can't we at least settle the medical records issue? And they said, oh, by the way, there has been a ruling. Didn't you know about it? The Air Force Board for the Correction of Military Records ruled in Adam's favor, saying there was error and injustice, and they should not have added those two items. Okay. Well, they wouldn't have told us about that. And I don't think the U.S. Attorney's Office even knew about it. So we get this information. We tell it to the court. They say that's new evidence. We can't look at that. But then it takes months and months. 
and they have not corrected Adams' military records the way the order said by the military that the military has to do it. So then they changed, they correct the metric, and they add three new items. Now they had told Adams, we don't have the original records from your tests, but clearly some of the numbers must have come out of those tests. And one was what's called a GAF number. This was back in 2010. They don't use this test anymore. It's bogus. It's, and if Adam really got that number, he wouldn't be having this conversation with us today. So anyway, they added those things. And now we have to go back to the Air Force Board for the Correction of Military Records to correct them again. And we want the order to say, delete them and add nothing new. Okay? Because all this was done to Adam while he was a civilian. So it was a strong argument. Hey, courts, this is not a military personnel issue. Our guy's a civilian. Well, Adam now has joined the Army National Guard. He's not exactly a civilian anymore. But the courts have said, just as they recently said, there was a case that some people brought saying, you're not drafting women. You're only drafting men. Isn't that unconstitutional? And the Supreme Court refused to hear the case saying we always defer to the military on these matters, but Congress should do something about this. So now we're in a situation where we have lost at the Court of Appeals because the Court of Appeals said regarding Adams' graduation and the military records, we're sorry. That's a military personnel matter. We, the courts, don't get involved is then we'd be micromanaging the military. So what they're really saying is the Constitution stops at the door of the military. It has its own court system. The Air Force Board for the Correction of Military Records is court. They call it a board, but it's a court. So now we're going to file again. Adam's been delayed a promotion at the Army National Guard, not allowed to fly helicopters and get that training. So we're going back to the military. Here's the good news. They ruled that it was beyond their normal review period. However, since the injustice was so great against Adam, that they would waive that normal review period, like the statute of limitations, and they would rule on Adam's case in his favor. Then the administrative process deemed him again. But we can file again, because number one, that's brand new. But we also have a precedent that we can bring up the 2010 denial of his graduation. Yes, it's beyond the statute of limitations, but it's so egregious. And also, we're going to pursue literally what Ulysses S. Grant got in 1871. He was given $1,000 to pay for some things. He put it in a place. It was taken from him. And he was, before he became president, going to have to pay that back. And he didn't have the money. And there was a bill in Congress that said, we will correct this. You don't have to do it. We're actually going to ask Congress, pass a bill. We need a sponsor that says Adam Dorito gets his degree from the Air Force Academy. Yes. And so the issue is Somebody might take that bill to court saying that's not constitutional. I don't think they're going to fight Adam forever. But as I reported on a news broadcast, the Air Force is at war for over 10 years with an American citizen. This American citizen was in Washington, D.C., representing the Colorado National Guard on January 6th. 
It's not like he's got a security clearance issue. So our fight is going to be one to Congress, but there's that slim chance the Air Force Board for the Correction of Military Records is going to step up. And that's what we're fighting for. And that's a narrow thread, but it's an important one because we have to exhaust all our remedies and then we could file a whole new federal lawsuit if we have to. Well, and not to take to um, move the story along too far, but so where does the Secretary of Defense's letter play into all this, the letter that recently you received? Well, it shows that Adam's getting attention. At this point, the Secretary of the Air Force is not going to order anything specifically, I believe, on behalf of Adam Dorito. We still have to go through the process. We've got somebody in the office interested. They could order the Air Force Academy to give him a degree. It would, you know, who knows what's going would happen. They might do it quietly or they might say, you know, sue us here at the Air Force Academy. We don't want to do it. So it's, it, it's a nice letter. It doesn't change the process. It just says we've got an audience. where. Well, also it was concerning to me as I was going through the letter line by line that the dates changed on the medical records said that they would be changed by 2019. It's 21, 2021 right now. So they just delaying it to delay it? Or what do you think? Because, you know, that's kind of, I mean, you say a year or, or, and then the letter also goes into some uh, really lame excuse on why it wasn't done. But I mean, is this a delay tactic? Is this just, you know, we're going to make sure that we keep this topic alive because you're being a pain to us? Like what, what is, what's the delay here? Do you think? Two issues. One, they delayed in changing the record, but they changed it. The problem is they were told to remove item A and B when they remove A and B, they add C, D, and E. I mean, they had to have known what they were doing, though. To, to I mean, well, he has it in for Adam Dorito, and the same person who said who sat on it for a year was probably the person who had the power to change it. He said, "Oh, if you're going to make me change it, you're going to have to make me change it again because it didn't say I couldn't add C, D, and E. It said take off A and B." Isn't that just more fuel to the fire, though? Because the original point was that those, the original point were things that were false that were added. And then now the additional three things, like, isn't that just more fuel for your fire that these records are falsified or? It is, but it means we need to call in another fire truck. And Adam's called in a lot of fire trucks. A lot of, you know, I'll stick around with Adam for a long time. I have already. Lawyers sometimes come and go. They change law firms. The next law firm doesn't want to handle the case. So continuity of lawyers on the other side. And these are tough cases. You're never awarded attorney's fees in these cases generally. So lawyers, Adam has to continue to fund it. But I think the ultimate issue is that the courts are not going to help. You've been denied your rights. They falsified your medical records. You did everything the rules say you should get a degree. And the day before they say you don't get a degree, but we're postponing it for 30 days and you still don't get a degree. So there's no oversight. And Senator Kristen Gillibrand is running a bill on sexual assaults in the military. And some people are saying we, Congress, should not even oversee the military in order that they do certain things regarding reporting out all sexual assault claims to other agencies. So 
there's a group of people in the United States that think that the military should self-regulate. Mm, and now I feel I'm like that could that be really issue. scary. So there's a bill maybe that Facebook and Twitter, that there'd be regulations of them because they argued they should be able to self-regulate. Look at the legal profession. It's argued for 150 years. It should self-regulate. And I'm writing a book to change that. Because Abraham Lincoln promised a government by the people, for the people, and of the people. So we now have a military that's by the military, for the military, and of the military. And we have a legal profession that's by the lawyers, for the lawyers, and of the lawyers. Where's accountability? So you're, I'm sorry, so your stance would be that the military governs itself. Is that kind of... Not just my stance. That's just what the Supreme Court just said. Well, the book you're writing. What's that? The book you said you're writing. Well, my argument is the legal profession is currently regulating itself. And I want the government to regulate it. Would we let the insurance industry regulate itself? No, we have a state insurance commissioner. Would we let businesses regulate themselves? No, we have the Interstate Regulatory Commission, Interstate Commerce Commission. We can't just say, oh, you started a new profession. You get to do whatever you want. Lawyers can even say who cannot practice law. And lawyers can even say with state Supreme Court what the practice of law is. That's not fair. That's not a government of the people. So the military is governing itself. And hopefully the secretary who's appointed, responsible, responsive to the president might step in on our behalf. And that was a little opening we got on that letter. Yeah. And something interesting to add too, to go back to what we were discussing before about the mistake that even the secretary of defense acknowledged was, you know, apparently this person went on vacation, so to speak, and forgot about my records. Well, one, I have a hard time believing that, but two, the interesting thing about that is they still not have provided me or the United States Army, Colorado National Guard, a copy of those changed records. However, in email discussions we had had with the attorneys representing the Air Force, you know, they stated they were no longer going to provide additional medical records. However, they produced a new medical record after those decisions were made that had extensive paragraphs full of notes and stories and anecdotes that no one has ever seen in over a decade. And one of the interesting things I found out about that was, which is concerning about moving into this case, is that these were things that were discussed on the Darksaber podcast. And also in discussions with one of the psychologists that we interviewed with, Rebecca Saltzman, and some of the things that she was mentioning about, well, if I was going to look at these records, and if they were going to be corrected, these are the standards of practices. These are what we would call SOAP notes, et cetera. And this is what an actual record to be verified, what I would be producing for my clients and my patients would look like. And ironically, even before a lot of those things were discussed openly in the Darksaber podcast, those were changes that were made in those records that had never been previously seen before. So it's concerning about who is continuously having access to these records and making consistent changes and also changes that are very bewildering. Uh, For example, you know, I was determined by my commander apparently to be Marina. I think you and I both know as former military people that that is not a word that anyone uses in the military. <laughs> and it just begs, it begs a question of there are still some irregularities with documents that are continuously being produced that there is no track record of, that there is no accountability 
It also, you and I both know that when these documents are signed, they have to be signed with a CAT card. That was still a thing 10 years ago. Uh, none of these documents can be traced that way. And it begs to question their authenticity or what the intentions of these documents are moving forward into the next phase of this, of these legal arguments. How are the documents being signed now if they're without a CAT card or because they, they changed it? The most recent document that they had produced had a hand signature. And <laughs> yes, like I said, that is not a thing on official military documents. And some other oddities I noticed, for example, Dr. Chris Nicole Henley Price. She Say your name again. Say uh, your name yeah. again. <laughs> Dr. Chris Nicole Henley Price, one thing that I actually, I think I discussed with you offline, she always consistently claims that I had met her. I claim the opposite, that you know I have never met her. One thing that we noticed in, that I had noticed in the new notes, which I think I brought up to you, was she says, Cadet Dorito presented himself in ABUs in my office. Now, that's a very interesting discretion uh, description because the Airman Battle Uniform was not issued to cadets until 2012. Mm-hmm. I was issued the BDUs, the Battle Dress Uniform, and that was a very distinctive notice. And if you were in the Air Force, you would definitely know the difference. You would definitely know the class of 2010 and 2011 were the last classes to wear the battle dress uniform. And when those notes were changed and modified was the end of 2011, beginning of 2012, which is when the doctor would have been present when all the cadets are wearing the airman battle uniform. So the interesting thing is if she actually had seen me in person, she would 100% have written, I was wearing my BDU uniform, not ABU. So that goes against their narrative. But like I said, these are new paragraphs and written descriptions that have been posted in these new documents that we had not seen before. And it was just an irregularity that I had noticed. I found very, very interesting because if you had seen me in person, the uniform difference was very, very obvious. Well, and just to add something, if you're going to lie, you better be good at it. Well, and there's one other thing, and Adam, you'll cut me off if you think I'm going down the wrong path. And my suggestion I asked Adam to file an ethical complaint against this doctor because she was not licensed in Colorado, okay? She was licensed somewhere else. And sometimes there's almost like military exception, but it's not exactly kosher. You can't do a military, you can't do a diagnosis, psychological diagnosis in Colorado. So in the old days, the American Psychological Association would handle these complaints. They then got so overwhelmed that they stopped. And they told the states, each state chapter, you have to handle your own complaints. Colorado convinced the Department of Regulatory Affairs, DORA, to do that, to handle these regulatory affairs. So Adam files his complaint with DORA. It's denied, saying, we reviewed it. We didn't see any problems that you mentioned. So then he refiled and said, well, you must not have looked at this evidence. And then he gets a response to his address. It was somebody else's decision on somebody else's case. It wasn't even the Adam Dorito case. And it went through all the details, private details. I told Adam, you know, make a copy, bury that, seal it, give it back to him and say, what about my case? So Adam, have you heard recently past that? Is there new news? Yeah. Ironically, they replied back to me a couple months after the fact, and they had said, oh, sorry, we meant to also send you this. And they had, they had given me an update, but they also said, same thing, your request for 
holding Kristen Henley Price accountable has been denied. And then I asked for a reason. They said we're providing no explanation. Uh, And then I believe Herb and I had an offline discussion about filing a complaint with the governor's office against Dora because the evidence is blatant. Dr. Chris Nicole Henley Price did not have a license to practice medicine in the state of Colorado for civilians in the time frame that she modified those records. Now, if I was still active duty military, she would be within that purview in that jurisdiction if she did, in fact, hold a license in a different state. But besides the fact, I did not go back into the military until, until 2015. But here's the other concerning thing is I have also filed complaints with the governor's office to the Colorado Army National Guard. I went through the entire chain of command here with General McCoo, who is my commander for the Colorado Army National Guard. And they gave me full permission to go to the governor's office with these complaints. Governor Polis has refused to be, get, be involved in the DORA complaint and with the Air Force Academy complaint as well, which is also concerning is that the Department of Defense and the Air Force Academy have so much power that the regulatory agencies that are supposed to regulate their own personnel, such as Dr. Chris Nicole Henley Price, is not happening and no one will be involved. And that, that should be concerning about why why the Air Force Academy has been given such discretion to basically do whatever they want. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. So to look at the bigger picture, though, I just want to clarify what, for our listeners, exactly what our end states or your end state goals here are. And number one, I'm assuming would be to take off the diagnoses that are false on your medical records. And two would be to to reinstate your education. And then I'm assuming the second part of that would be to pay you back or refund you or take away. Is it a debt right now? Um, that you're, are you still paying on it? or He is not paying at the present time. They have garnished some wages in the past. I, I think there's one other lesson, and that is in the military. As soon as somebody in the military does something which you are very confident, is unconstitutional, illegal, violates your rights. Number one, reach out to an attorney. You may or may not be able to find one. Number two, file internally in the military the documents you have to file to, quote, exhaust your administrative remedies, because that's how you eventually have some right, hasn't been helpful yet, to go to court. But I think you have a third duty, and that is after you really understand what's going on, which could be five minutes after it happened to you and three minutes after you filed your military documents to go public and to go to podcasts like yours, put your story in writing, because until as long as the public in the Congress is willing to mil- for the military to get away with just about whatever it wants to get away with, it seems like it will. And so that's, I think, the saddest lesson. If the courts can't hold people, the military accountable, who can? So do you think, I'm sorry to cut you off real quick, but so do you think the podcasts are helping or hurting Adam? Nothing can hurt Adam. Adam's already been dead on the battlefield twice. He's in life number three. They're They're not going to physically hurt him. I mean, that ain't going to happen. And I've represented a lot lot of whistleblowers. Yeah, many of them have been followed. Many of them have had psychological techniques put on them. But you have to be prepared for all that and know that physically, odds are you're okay. And so the public will eventually get to one congressman. We only need one congressperson to introduce a bill in the House and one senator to introduce a bill in the Senate. It's, you know, it's hard to do, but we're going to keep building the record. 
this is a lifelong battle until we win and we can keep going back to the Air Force Board for the Correctional Military Records as many times as we have. And then because we've talked about this, we talked about this in the prior podcast, Adam, but I just want to remind, I just want to remind our listeners, and you mentioned it as well, Herb, is that the things that you, so you're able to still continue on with the National Guard, but you're not able to be, you probably are able to be promoted on the enlisted side, right? But just not on the officer side? Correct. So, so there is some stipulations right now. The army is full and well and ready to commission me, you know, given some, you know, I have to go back to some training schools and stuff, but the problem is, is the security clearances and everything else for TS. And until this record is officially cleared, it will get stuck somewhere in that process. So I've been told numerous times, like, we understand you're a good guy. We understand your situation. But when somebody at Fort Riley, Kansas pulls up your stuff or whatever to clear your stuff, it's not going to go through. and It's going to get held up because it's not officially off your record. So obviously, objective number one is clear my medical records and take off all information that is inaccurate which is basically everything. I I don't think that's a hard ask. And we've already won that side. The Air Force Board of Corrections and Military Records has agreed with us, but now we have to go back again and request to have all the additional things they added after they were instructed to remove A and B. Now we have to go back and remove C, D, and E. Second would be obviously to reconstitute my degree. I'm asking for nothing more than I've ever earned. And I know I graduated from the Air Force Academy proudly. I, I love the Air Force Academy. I support its mission. You know, like I said, only 10% of the people are causing 90% of the problems in the military. And we're dealing with that 10% when it comes to the Air Force Academy uh, and fighting for justice. And, and three is obviously to ensure that this doesn't happen again. And obviously, like Herb has mentioned, whether it's passing a by name bill to, to set that precedent and you know, show that you know, we can't keep doing this to cadets. Because like I said, with the Dark Saber podcast, We've also discovered that this isn't just, there are many other cadets over the years who have been dealing with very similar, if not the same issues that I have dealt with. However, I am the only one who has stuck to it for over a decade, fighting it through the courts and the official systems, because I have a good support basis. I have an amazing attorney. I have a great family support system and people like you who are constantly advocating for that change. And I believe that, you know, if I give up, who else is going to take up this fight? It's not going to be anybody because no one's willing to put this amount of time and effort into this project, I assure you. So we're hoping to create permanent change to make our military academies better, to make sure that we're having better officers to serve in our future military against our peer adversaries. And then also, I'm just curious about this by name bell things. Does this, I have, I have not seen this happen. So does this, occur, does this occur regularly? We don't know how often okay. this occurs, but we hear a lot of people saying I'm going through the same thing. I love the idea. I just had never heard of it before. So one of the issues, for example, is there might be a government regulation that says you have to report workplace injury. Then the government says, okay, you don't have to do that anymore. And then the next government says you have to do it. We don't know how big a problem something is unless it's reported. In the old days, I could file a complaint against a police officer, but it was never reported to the public. So I know most people think databases are boring. Just give me a database of everybody who's filed exactly this kind of complaint anywhere in the military. And I bet my database is going to be many, many gigabytes. But the military reports to virtually no one, unless Congress says, tell us how many people have complained about inaccurate medical records. And by the way, once you do that, they're going to say, oh, wait, I had an inaccurate medical record. I didn't complain because it wouldn't do any good. Let me now register my complaint. They're very concerned about opening floodgates. 
I would have to agree with Herb on that. And I think the one thing that we also see is that the military is highly selective on the information that they do release. Uh, We know that those DOD reports that come out every two years between the service academies and everywhere else, they're not 100% showing the true story. And we've also discovered throughout this process over a decade that the numbers and the statistics that they're releasing are just false. Just from the interviews I've done with cadets, I know, you know, for example, last year, the Air Force Academy reported 30 sexual assaults. Well, I interviewed over 50 people that were all sexually. So right then and there, we were defeating their numerical narrative. But the problem is many people still fear retaliation. And the reason they fear retaliation is because they look at Dorito versus USA. They look at my case. They look what happened to me. And I, like I've told many people before, even the best man to my own wedding won't come forward and talk about things involving my case because he's afraid of retaliation at the rank of major currently serving in our military. Here's a good example. Very early in COVID, we heard about, I guess it was the Teddy Roosevelt off of Guam and all the COVID cases on that aircraft carrier. And then we heard about another ship. And then the military said, we're not going to tell you on a military base by military base basis what the COVID situation is because it might compromise our security. So you couldn't find out at Fort Bragg what the COVID situation was. The problem with that in part was how does the community deal with it? Because they have civilians working there, who knows what. And so I'm right here in Lexington, Virginia now, pretty close to Virginia Military Institute. And I think initially they had said, well, we're a military base, we're not going to report. But then wait a minute, somebody said, wait, you're, you're not a military base. <laughs> you're going to report. And out of 1,600 students, one day, I believe it was in March of this year, they had 185 active cases of COVID. And they had gone down to fewer than 40. But they have this one sort of a type of Olympics or some type of competition, you know, all day. And they let all the people who are quarantined participate. And it was a super spreader event. So military likes to keep things close to the vest. That's an understatement. We're not fighting for transparency. We're just fighting for accuracy and give us accurate information. And they're saying, no, thank you. Until Congress makes us do something, we are running things quite well ourselves. Thank you very much. Well, and just to add on to what you guys were both talking about, I think that the Army... Well, I'll speak for the army because that's where I came from, but the military will deflect a lot because a lot of those reports you were talking about, Adam, they will come out like two years later. And so they're, they're able to say, Hey, well, these aren't the latest statistics. These just happen to be the ones from two years ago. And so then they can leave this like bubble open for hope that it's getting better. And then everyone's like, Oh, it's improving. And we go back and have another like hearing on it and, Oh, they'll get better. And then they come out again and they just consistently are just getting higher and higher. So I think that that those reports are also a great way to, to just kind of hold out for, Hey, these programs are going to work. We promise you this time they're going to work. You're you're exactly correct. And to caveat off that, I've actually been tracking all those numbers as much as I can since the Fowler Commission back in 2003 demanded that service academies keep track of these things. So ironically, I didn't figure this out, but the Fowler Commission after the 2003 rape scandal at the Air Force Academy demanded that every two years at the academies report these numbers. And that's how that program, Sapper, started and everything else. 
But the first year they published those statistics was 2006, which was the first year that I entered the academy. So for three years, they had like, okay, we're going to figure out how we're going to do this. But then you're correct. Every two years they're publishing these numbers, but they're already two years old and nobody's paying attention to it because, you know, the average American attention span is about five seconds. So when they publish these numbers, people aren't paying attention that they're already way off base and people can see where I've kept track of these numbers. They can follow me on Instagram and they can go to my highlights and look at the graph and charts I've made. The highest rates of sexual assault reporting at the Air Force Academy was between 2008 and 2010 when the Air Force Office of Special Investigations ran their undercover informant program, which is when the most reports were being made. Then after General Gould left and had gotten rid of that system, magically numbers went down. And then the Air Force Academy reported, well, we fixed the issue. Well, you didn't fix the issue. You just got rid of the, the main source of reporting for those numbers. So people don't understand where these statistics are actually coming from. And also, like I said, it's self Even you've talked with Teresa Beasley, I'm sure, about this stuff, where 40 cases had just gone unhandled and went missing at the Air Force Academy. And then she was fired and the entire office was let go because the Air Force can just do whatever they want. They're, like Herb has mentioned numerous times, there is no regulatory agency with any oversight and people just say, well, I'll just go to the IG and complain. Well, unfortunately, I've never seen an IG complaint ever actually resolve anything. And even if they do make a recommendation, they just make a recommendation, whether it actually changes the system or whatever general is being held accountable, that's up to them. For example, the Air Force Academy's previous commandant, she was found misappropriating funds from cadets using a GTC. She was reprimanded in an IG complaint saying what she did was unethical and wrong. What happened to her? Well, she got promoted to move to Space Command. So there, there's no accountability. Even if the internal processes are finding people guilty of these things, there's just absolutely no accountability or regulatory agency that is holding these numbers, these reportings, and the people who are responsible for those reports accountable for what what is even going on in the first place. Yeah, and you know that we will never see IG reports. I mean, the commander will see it, perhaps maybe JAG will see it. But yeah, those IG reports never become public either. So you don't know what's even in them. And usually the people that they're about don't even know what's in them. Right. And at the end of the day, like Herb has said, we just keep going around the circle. And then we're back to the point of, well, when are we going to start holding these people accountable? When are we going to be making changes? And that's why we're going to be asking Congress to make those changes, make the precedent. And maybe the court system will agree with us after we go through another board of corrections and military records and say, well, we've exhausted administrative remedies again. We've played the game. It's time to make change. It's time to put it on paper. It's time to hold our military accountable because if these things keep happening, I can assure you it's, it's really a threat to national security. The other thing I want to mention, there is short term, we need to file a document with the Air Force Board for the correction of military records. There's medium term, we need to be talking to a couple of people in Congress. There's long term, and that might be somebody like Adam begins to pull together the people he knows who have been I'm just going to say mistreated by the military in a way the military refuses to acknowledge, okay? When those people start to run for Congress and they start to win political office, they then influence public opinion. And that's going to be a long haul. But I've told Adam, begin to start thinking about running for office, begin to start being a political leader, because these are political issues. We like to think of them as legal issues, but ultimately, if the bylaws say on January 3rd, you have a board meeting and you wait till January 4th and you hold the board meeting, but somebody sues on January 5th and said you didn't hold it on January 4th, 3rd, I mean, 
takes a year to go to the get to the court. Like, hey, why are you bothering us? It was one day late. So that's a legal issue. But this is all about politics. And it's all about the political power of the Air Force Academy. And the other thing I want to say, the biggest fight going on throughout the world is the fight between transparency and secrecy. You look at, so somebody said, why is all the news in the newspaper, especially on the front page, why is it all bad? And I'll say, what's the one theme in every newspaper? You know what it means to be above the fold, the top half of the page. What is the one word theme that's in every one of the major articles anywhere in the world in the newspaper? And that word is conflict. Every article is about some form of conflict. And I think the greatest conflict is secrecy versus transparency. Because if I can keep something secret, I am all-powerful. Democracy, capitalism, government only works when people know what's going on. When they don't, you have a million different governments with a million different people doing what they want to do and keeping it secret. No, I like that. I think that's very well said. And also to, to discuss what you said about Adam running for office, I mean, I've even seen a change in the last couple of years with like the Dan Crenshaw's or the Ruben Gallegos or the Mike Gallagher's, they will step up for bills that I, I you would have never seen supported before. We work with um, Gallegos' office quite a bit, and I'm shocked at how helpful they want to be with just soldier issues, because um, he's on the personnel committee and just being just wanting to help with issues, knowing how soldiers get screwed, and because he's a Marine and he under, you know he understands that. So I love the running for Congress, and I think there's definitely, I always think there's an appetite for veterans because. Because there is. I mean, for me, do I can ever see myself running for Congress in the past? No. I like to sit quietly, do my job, sit on my farm and hang out my chickens and my dogs and my wife, so to speak, right? But in general, I think what I've seen is that it is a calling to public service. And if this is something I need to do to continue serving this country to make sure the right things are being done and people are being held accountable, I'm glad to consider that route, whether it's to resolve not only my case, but the dozens and hundreds of other cases and people that I've talked to throughout this entire dark saber project process. If the courts are telling us this is a military matter and therefore the courts aren't going to get involved, there's only two other courts left. First is the court of public opinion. We have to go straight to people. The next court is the court of God. Nobody knows how to push that one very far in one direction or the other. It's what Abraham Lincoln said when the general said, you know, you hope, hope that God will be on our side tomorrow in the battle. And Abraham Lincoln said, well, we first hope we're on God's side. Well, I think we are. But we've got to win in the court of public opinion, which means we need to educate the public. And secrecy is the opposite of education. You know, there was an anti-literacy bill in many states in the 1840s and 50s and 60s anti-literacy. It meant that a white person was not allowed to teach a black person how to read. Now the church said, wait a minute, it's very important for us to teach slaves how to read because then they can become Christian. So we'll violate that rule. And the state said, well, we like people to become Christian, so we won't enforce it. But if anybody's out there trying to teach slaves how to figure out how to be independent or leave slavery or start their own business. We have an anti-literacy bill. Well, if you don't run for office and you don't 
then you're, you're not participating in the court of public opinion. And that's where this battle has to go. Yeah, again, I think that's very well said. And I think that that's definitely where you're going to have to head with it. If you guys had to speculate, though, I know you said that you'd be doing this for a lot, a lot longer. And that was not a very specific amount of time. But do you see this battle ending in the next couple of years, the short term goals? I think in the next few years, we will win this military records battle and they will just take off things and, you know, it'll be a clean slate like it's supposed to be. The graduation, it could easily be a decade. And this battle doesn't end until we win. If that's how you define battle, them to decide when it ends because we've already decided we're in we're in the battle. I mean, it took Ulysses S. Grant many years to get that $1,000. That money was gone for years. And everybody would agree. There was a report, and almost like an IG's report, Ulysses Grant did nothing wrong. He put the money where it was supposed to be. You know, it was the whole case was taken. So nobody was supposed to know what was in it. Maybe they didn't know what was in it until they broke it open. But it still took him years and years of library in Congress for a thousand dollar. Yep, I agree. In the meantime, I'm just going to keep doing my civilian job and doing whatever the Colorado Army National Guard asks me to do in the process and keep serving my country the best way that I can by hoping that myself and all the others, including Mr. Rubenstein, who are involved in this case and, and everyone else from the advocacy groups we've worked with, that they're willing to join us and hope that we are just going to keep pushing and lobbying for change. And like Herb said, we're not going to stop until that change happens because no one else is going to put this much time and effort into this type of project. And we win every day when a person goes, oh, that happened to me too. Maybe I should do something about it. Maybe I can do something about it. And then maybe I will do something about it. Those are three big steps because most people, they're not talking. Yeah, definitely. Because I think people just need a little bit of encouragement, especially with the military. They can be intimidated to keep their mouth shut. So it's the encouragement that they see by what Adam is doing is important because it is a fight. And who knows, maybe the next battle will be shorter for the next person that comes along and chooses to fight it like you are. But it's not just fear of retaliation. I mean, we graduate some tough people from the military. For a lot of people, it's just fear of embarrassment. Number one, I don't want to tell somebody that this happened to me. Number two, I don't want to tell people that I didn't tell people before it happened to me. And we see in many major institutions, things happened to people 10, 20, 30 years ago, and they were just too embarrassed. And embarrassed means social conformity. And then, oh, you're different. I didn't know that happened to you. You're no longer invited to dinner or the club or, you know, they, they don't return your phone calls. It's that social shunning that a lot of people are worried about more than some kind of official retaliation. So, and that's what kept a lot of whistleblowers quiet. They were demonized. And now from my analysis, and it's not always on rigorous data, People are believing the whistleblower more right off the bat than they're believing the company or government calling them, calling them a whistleblower. People are now calling themselves a whistleblower. Hi, I'm a whistleblower. Hey, what are you doing? That was a four-letter word 10, 15 years ago. You're a whistleblower. I want to stay out of your orbit. I want to get away from you. Worse than that in COVID. But now I'm a whistleblower 
And the government is paying a lot of money. Securities and Exchange Commission paid one whistleblower in 2020, $114 million. And they paid a total of $180 million in 2020 to whistleblowers because they will pay between 10 and 30% of the new amount of money that a government gets because a whistleblower has blown a whistle. Attorney's fees are starting to be awarded. This is a seismic shift. There was a Freedom of Information Act, opened up a lot of information in the government 30 years ago. This is really going to be the Freedom of Whistleblower Act. And you can't even pronounce F-O-W-A. Sounds weird. But a lot of people are going to come out of the woodwork. And that's why we have to keep talking. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. You see lots of nonprofits supporting them as well when they come out and they are running more protections for whistleblowers. And yeah, I think when I think when you do whistleblow, you think about it, uh, the repercussions, and you know that they could be very, you know, they could be very adverse. And so when you do come out, I don't think you come out lying. You come out armed with the truth because you know you're going to face fire. So. And now we're able to prepare those people. We're able to show them here the things to watch for and monitor that people are starting to come after you. Here's how to protect yourself. Here's how to here's how to benefit the country and benefit yourself from telling the truth. Actually, and make improvements people, for the future. Yeah, I actually teach people, and I taught this in Adam's class. If you've reported up the chain of command and nobody's made a change and you've written it, then you go to your boss's boss's boss and say, here's what I think could happen. It's terrible. It's actually starting to happen. This is my memo a long time ago. And I'd like to keep it private for another 24 hours or 48 hours or 72 hours. It's getting worse on your watch. But by, by the way, if you don't fire my boss and you don't fire my boss's boss and you don't appoint me for one of those two positions, then I guess I'll just have to speak the truth. And so it's not extortion. You're not, I was just going to say. <laughs> it's not extortion. You're not making any demands. You're saying, unless we correct this situation in all the right ways, then the public needs to know. I've tried my best. And I'll continue to do my best for this company. But not, you know, General Schwarzkopf talks about going up the ladder. And I had the privilege of asking him a question in Hawaii. General Schwarzkopf in front of 2,000 people. If I report something to my boss... And I report something to my boss's boss and it gets nowhere. And this is a critical situation for the, can I come to you? You said earlier in your speech, you wanted to know about problems. Can I come to you? Say, look at this problem. He says, well, first of all, you better document real well that you've gone up some of that chain of command because you've got to climb the ladder. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, but I'm not going to ask you to climb the parts with the broken rungs. And that's what happens. When you've got a broken rung ahead of you, try to climb it. And maybe in boot camp, you know, somebody once joked, what's the difference between the SEALs and the Marines? And in the Marines, they get rungs on their ladders. The SEALs just get the two sides and they got to go up without the rungs. And so the whole idea is that you just don't, you can't keep reporting to a broken rung. You got to go to the top. And so if we ever get the ear of a president or a vice president or a secretary of the Air Force, that's our duty. That's not not really something that's just there to help us. It's help, there to help everybody. All right, gentlemen. Well, I really appreciate you being here today. I did want to ask, though, are there any other last minute thoughts before I let you go? That's it for me. Thank you very much for having us on, Lindsay. We appreciate it. 
and your advocacy for this case. Definitely. And we will keep reporting updates on you and helping you with what we can behind the scenes. And yep, we're following your case and we stand behind you. And thank you uh, both of you for coming on the show and updating us. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.